The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LAL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at LALcycling.com. That's E-L-I-E-L cycling.com. And the Pace Line is supported by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now on to the show. It's another weighty show on the pace line. Athletes will carry a little bit more lean mass. Now, a cyclist tend to be like um, the opposite of what everyone in this world finds desirable. We tend to be like centaurs, and we have massive <laughs> lower bodies and a total lack of any shoulders or anything else like that. That lean mass that you carry, as you get faster, you'll be increasing your lean mass many times, and so it's kind of a double-edged sword. And forget about Make America Great Again. One bike maker says make it in America again. Why? Because we can do it better. And I've known for a long time that manufacturing of composite bicycle frames was going to come back to North America. So I took the decision to begin a path to start our own brand that we manufactured here. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number 54. I'm Eldon Nelson, better known as Fatty, and with me is Patrick Brady, the head mechanic and publisher of Red Kite Prayer, which is where you can always find the links, photos, and miscellany for this show. How are you doing, Patrick? Howdy. Uh, well, I've, I've been better. I've been lots better. Um, <laughs> I'm battling through some virus that has taken each member of my family down and uh as always i'm last in line and i usually am the person who ends up with it the longest dude don't you know that when people ask how you're doing they don't really want to know how you're doing you're just supposed to say fine and we move on yeah but i'm not going to get to do the grasshopper <laughs> this weekend and i'm bumming and so oh, I'm, seriously I'm share my misery yeah oh yeah oh yeah. dude like I, I, when I drove to pick up the kids from school yesterday, I didn't really entirely think that I should be on the road. Uh, it's, it's almost like, yeah, driving buzzed. Uh, oh not that I've really done that, but, um, this, <laughs> this feels like something I should not be doing. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, in that case, I'm glad that I asked how you're doing and that you told us how you are actually doing. Now better. that we have that out of the way, we can move on with the real show. Better news is that. To our delight is Michael Houghton, a.k.a. Hottie, a.k.a. The Voice, contributor to RKP, and also what I would consider the driving force behind this podcast. How are you doing, Hottie? Yeah, Paceline founder. Yeah, here. You know, guys, it's been raining three days straight in Los Angeles. Oh, three dude, in a row. Dude, just stop. Could I've you got you beat that? on that as well. <laughs> so weird so weird patrick I, I hope you're feeling better um too bad chileno chileno last year you raced chileno, chileno. you rode chileno yep. in a downpour it was a yep. slosh event and sideways wind i, I might yeah. add yes uh, mm-hmm. i still love telling the story of making the turn onto valley ford road driving headwind full of rain looking down at my Wahoo element and seeing in nice big numbers there, because you can do that with the element, despite all the rain, I could see the numbers and it said 5.1 miles per hour. Oh boy. And I I was catching people and passing people at that speed. (laughs) That's how the wind was. Yeah. I have one time ridden against a headwind that was so hard that it did finally stall me out where I could no Mm. longer ride against it. When I turned around uh, I got up to, and this is f- on a flat road, no lie. I saw it on my GPS, 40 miles per hour. It was yeah, I can, I can totally it believe was, that. It yeah. was remarkable. But you mentioned uh, looking down at your Wahoo Element. I want to talk about the Wahoo Element for a sec. Okay. Because I have one on order. I'm getting it tomorrow. I'm so stoked. I, I spent my SAG AFTRA check and my very first ever Paceline check. And wait, wait a second. Between the SAG-AFTRA, yeah. that, that means you're oh, an yeah. actor. You're an actor? You didn't, 
you didn't know I'm super famous. On, First of on, all, we're on in the, the same union. I'm in that union too as a radio professional. But well, you were SAG after. What, what, what's the check for, buddy? <laughs> I uh, I played the part of a bike messenger in one episode of Leverage, uh, which uh, Paul Gio, who we've mentioned before, there in, you go, name dropped. Yep, uh, friend of the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, uh, on the show, he was the producer, and he wrote an episode called "The French Connection," uh, which uh, I he he wrote a very small part for me. I was not supposed to be uh, having a speaking part because then I would not be getting a check. But they decided it just didn't work, so they gave me a line at the beginning of the episode, a line at the end of the episode. And now, about twice a year, I get a check for around two hundred fifty to four hundred dollars. That is, yeah. not bad. So a residual no. is what you're getting. Is that's exactly what I'm getting? And so everyone, so go sh- out and watch that, means, that on Netflix. Show, that means the show is still on the air. So can we oh, see yes. it somewhere? The, that's a mechanical royalty. Yeah, it's um, it is. I, I the show still plays in syndication, I believe, and. I and I don't know how all of everything works, but I think whenever someone plays it on Netflix, maybe I get half a penny. I don't know, um, but it does. You know, this is years ago, and I'm still getting a check a couple of times a year. It's fantastic. So yeah, look up the French Connection on uh, uh, on the series Leverage on Netflix and check it out. I'm in the first five minutes and the last three minutes of the show. Mm-hmm. Immediately after the pace line, I'll be watching. Fantastic. <laughs> I've got to do something else with my time today. Aw. So anyway, all of all of this has to do with I um I so I have ordered a Wahoo element, partially out of uh jealousy of the one I got for my wife for Christmas. It just looks really cool. But I have a question. What am I supposed to do? With the Garmin 520 and like the 5,000 mounts I have on my various bikes for <laughs> Garmin products, because with me moving over, I am I, I was the last Garmin in a bike riding family, so I have a ton of these things. Should yep. I make sculpture? I don't know what. <laughs> um, there's got to be some sort of you know charitable cyclist something or other. Uh, the the there's a there's a Maybe team Nika. in Jamaica, Team Galiz, uh, run by a really wonderful woman named Storm Hilton. That's a nickname, but sh- mm-hmm. no one calls her Jennifer. Uh, I mean, if you have a nickname like Storm, right? Right. But she, uh, I did a tour there a couple of years ago, and she she gets young guys who are fit, and when they're at that kind of crucial stage of their lives, right before they might get picked up by the drug trade and their lives go completely off the rails, uh, she gets them involved in cycling. And so she has produced, you know, the the current uh, Jamaican national champion. Uh, she's she's in the process of producing some of the best cyclists coming out of Jamaica. And uh, she, you know, she goes through... Um, how to put it um she'll turn anything you can get to her into something usable for a cyclist there and so if you have maybe old garments as well as garment mounts i'm sure she can put that stuff to use hmm. what you that need is to do is that idea yeah what you need to do is find out where the where the polar graveyard is somewhere <laughs> buried are hundreds and thousands of polars because when Garmin came on the scene, they kind of shoved Polar aside, and certainly something yeah. happened to all those Polar watches and and all the and I was so happy Remember about all the that. magnets and crap you and, had to put all over your bike to make a Polar run well, I just, somewhere? That stuff is buried. You know, That's I true. just remember having to push like two buttons and tap a third and be sure that my tongue was touching my rear left molar. And, <laughs> you know, just the stuff you had to go through to use a Polar u- unit. And then Garmin came along and was like, oh, look, push one button. It does this. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And then somehow, amazingly, you know, Wahoo made a unit that's even easier to use. Yeah. 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 My family is now split between Lazine and Wahoo. And um, I mean, we were a committed Garmin family. So, yeah. It's It's almost like politics. Yeah. 
I guess. Just but, like yeah. bottom brackets and and through axles. Please, these computer companies need to come up with a standard for mounts so we can just switch units, head units, and not have to go fishing for mounts and change them on all our bikes. And hmm. for God's sakes, uh, some standards, please, with the mounts. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> with all the trouble in the world, this is the one that we've decided to <laughs> right. go to the mat with, right? <laughs> That's well, fantastic. yeah, because we deal with computers every day, and you don't deal with a bottom bracket except when it's creaky or there's a new bike. So, yeah. Hmm. If there's a rampart I'm going to throw myself at, it's computer mounts. I'm okay. with you. There we are. So, so as long as we are being controversial, here's another one. Mm. <laughs> hey, guns. everybody, let's wade in. <laughs> <laughs> guns and riding. Not guns and roses, guns and riding. Mm-hmm. What, that's I, a new band? This, yeah, it could be. Maybe it should be. But uh, my my friend Don Buttram, uh put up, a Facebook post asking the question, and I think it's a good one. I've never considered it before. Well, and then made do sure you to ride tag us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so do you? Uh, do you know anyone who carries while they ride? I personally don't and have never thought about it and, and would be a little bit uneasy knowing someone was carrying a gun while they were riding their bike Partially because I think that things might escalate a little bit more quickly if someone were, you know, you know, if someone had that kind of uh, weapon at their disposal. Mm-hmm. But I, I can see why that might be an opinion not everyone shares. How about you guys? Well, I'm, I'm going to go out, you know, and just first, you know, for, for kind of s- the sake of clarity, I, I'm going to say, you know, my position on guns is that I'm not a big fan of handguns. Okay. Uh, I am in favor of gun control, and I know not everyone agrees with that. I am, however, I you know, I grew up in the South, and I have a great number of friends who are hunters, and I really have no problem with hunting. Somebody who owns uh, a .30-06 or, you know, shotguns for bird hunting, I don't have any problems with that. But the moment you start talking about needing to walk around town with a forty five strapped to your hip, I have an issue with that. that to me, that that's antithetical to what civilization is about leave the lethal measures to the police that's something i fundamentally believe in and so it extends to my view on guns on bikes Mm -hmm. um i had an event in high school where a former classmate who was we're gonna go with maybe a little bit off made threats against my life now this was the early 1980s when people didn't really give two wits about somebody making a a threat against someone else's life. And so we didn't get the police involved, but my father took it seriously seriously enough that he went out and got some mace for me and told me to keep it in my car. He thought this guy might actually do some stuff. And maybe it's because he liked to beat me up when we were in school together years before. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, You know, I... I believe in defending oneself. And so I didn't have a problem with the mace then. I mean, nothing came to pass, but um, I see pepper spray or something like that as a way to defend yourself in bad situations without escalating to the point of lethal measures. Mm. And, um, you know, I know, I know some very, even-keeled guys who I've seen throw water bottles at cars when they made moves that endangered cyclists. Years ago, on a big, big group ride, uh, a guy made a right turn through the group. Somehow didn't hit anybody, but one of the most staid and normal and reasonable guys I knew in the Peloton grabbed his water bottle out of the cage, threw it, and hit the vehicle hard enough that it made a dent in it. Hmm. Wow. And this is this is a guy who, if you needed a diplomat in a situation, you needed someone to calm the situation down, he's one of the guys I would have turned to. And he did that. So um, I'm thinking that the presence of lethal measures, given some of the things that I've encountered over the years, um, no, that's just a big fat sack of no. I don't want to spend months of my life as a witness in a murder trial. Yeah. Um, I, for me, Fatty, yeah. I, I know for a fact, I have a good buddy of mine who has driven me 
to bike races and bike events. And I know for a fact that on those drives, beneath my passenger seat is a handgun. I, I know he's got it there. I'm well aware of it. Um, and I, I don't give it a lot of thought, though, uh, because sure. he does not make a point of un, uh, taking that weapon out of its case and putting it in his in his Lycra shorts and carrying it around with him as we go on our ride. So I'm I'm cool with that. And I get it. He wants to, you know, he feels better about being protected that way. So I'm fine with that. Another story about guns and bikes is I was in Whitefish, Montana uh, last summer. I think I talked about it on the pace line about my riding there. I had to actually rent a bike there. So I was in a bike shop renting mm-hmm. a bike in Whitefish. And in the shop was a mountain bike with a full-on rack to carry your rifle. And I'll have to say, it was cool. I was like, yeah, th- <laughs> I'm in Whitefish. I'm in Montana. There's bear. There's hunting here. And... That thing was cool. I, I think I have a photo of it somewhere. If I find it, I'll post it on the in the in the show notes for for this particular show. But it was it was pretty cool looking. Um, third, I'll never forget coming across this article. It was months ago. I just set it aside. Uh, this is an article I found on a clothing maker called Concealed Carry. Actually, they make more than clothing. They make handbags, and they make uh, other purses and so forth. They're all designed for folks to to carry their firearms in a concealed yet fashionable way. Now they have a an athletic shirt, a $94 athletic shirt that could be worn as a cycling jersey uh, so folks could carry their gun while riding. It's a, this black poly blend material. Your weapon goes in a side pocket with a zipper closure for easy access in the unfortunate circumstance that you need to defend yourself. A drawstring kind of helps reduce the vertical motion. He's talking about carrying a gun and riding a bike, and it seems a little awkward, but they've got a little strap drawstring system to cinch things up nice and tight. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how it would work in the drops. It seems a a little awkward. The concealed carry is designed for compact firearms, as Jersey is. Uh, but you could also like stow a taser or pepper spray, so they don't actually say you got to carry a gun with this thing. Um, but uh, I-, I love their they're in um, Georgia. Um, town is uh, Roswell, Georgia, and their their logo, their their slogan is "Firearms, Fashion, Fabulous, Concealed Carry." <laughs> so I love that. Fabulous and firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I will say that. Uh, while pre-riding the Leadville 100, a f- uh, well, more than a decade ago, and my wife does not believe this, but it is true, uh, I was riding up Columbine, and a brown bear charged down the mountain, not on the road, but uh, ran down the mountain, across the road, and continued barreling on down the mountain. Um, so it was, you know, it was about, I would say, you know, my perception was like five feet away in reality, probably more like 50 or a hundred yeah. feet away. And but, look, we, we've done, t- we've done stories on this show about mountain bikers mm-hmm. being shot at while on the trails. So yeah, it's not like there's, you know, there's, there are, there's danger out there for, for cyclists, whether it be on the road and getting run off the road or a, a bear running at you or being shot at by some crazy landowner. You never know what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, packing a gun while riding seems, uh, unless you're hunting or doing something, seems uh, extreme at, 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 at best. What I am noticing is that none of the three of us are real gun guys. What I would be real interested in is hearing uh, contrary opinions in our comments, and maybe we can bring this conversation back because i think that there is room for a well-reasoned counter argument and i would love to hear someone who really believes in uh packing a gun on a ride whether uh for protection from animals or from people i'd love to hear the argument for why so indeed let's leave let's leave that there for now leave us a comment in uh red kite prayer and if it is uh something that furthers the discussion we'll bring it back up uh Thanks, Don, for a real interesting conversation topic. So uh, let's take a quick break now. And after that, let's talk about my favorite subject, fat. 
That's next on The Pace Line. Comfortable to carry. Comfortable to shoot. It's slim, concealable, and powerful protection. The M&P Shield by Smith & Wesson. Confidence? We perfected that years ago. When my son was born, I realized I needed to finally get some life insurance. Um, I had neglected to do so so far in my life. And when I went shopping for it, I realized that even though I was an exceptionally fit cyclist, uh, none of the companies out there took that into account in setting my rates. Um, I got a physical and it didn't ask me any significant questions. Uh, but now there's a company that helps you secure better life insurance rates because you are a cyclist. Uh, Health IQ advocates for a healthy, conscious lifestyle. They've used science and data to fight for lower rates on life insurance for the health conscious, including those who run, bike, and do other aerobic sports. In fact, research has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. Many cyclists don't realize they can get a special rate due to their active and healthy conscious lifestyle. So Health IQ has special rates with companies like New York Life on life insurance for cyclists and other healthy conscious people. Uh, check out our show notes. There's a link to their site, um, Health IQ slash Paceline. You can take their quizzes, uh, see the questionnaires. They've got a lot of information there. Health IQ. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, Fatty, all of Red Kite Prayer fame. Because, like I like to point out, we're all very, very famous, especially me since I've been on television. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, weight has been a real focus for me this uh, this year. And literally since the beginning of the year, since the 5th of January, I have been on a weight loss journey. I'm now, as of this morning, at 166.2 pounds which is down about 14 pounds since January 5 when I started this. And I'm pretty proud of that. And 14 also, pounds in less than six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, hate uh, I think I'm on day 35 right now. So, yeah. Um, I'm obviously very self-obsessed here. And so I have this question, is my target weight, what I'm striving to get to, is that the right number I should be targeting? What is my true race weight? And I think that's probably a question that a lot of cyclists have that, you know, we, we're, we're talking about getting to race weight, losing a few pounds, but are we, is the number we're working toward the right number? And how do you figure out what the right number is? And it was with that in mind that I approached Jonathan Lee, who's the director of business development at Trainer Road, uh, which has really great online uh, cycling workouts. Uh, I've been a subscriber for a long time with them. And he's also a USAC level two certified coach. And he is fantastic at giving real world practical answers to cyclists. So here's the interview I had with uh, Jonathan about that. Jonathan, it is nice to have you here on the Pace Line. Welcome. Thanks, Eldon. I'm happy to be here, man. And you are the one of the co-hosts of the very popular Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. I should also mention. Sweet. Yes, I yeah, we are. It's it's a ton of fun. We answer people's coaching questions every week. So, uh, we get a lot of practice at this sort of thing. So, hopefully I'm 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 primed and ready. Dude, you sound like 70% better than I do already. I'm trying to sound <laughs> like you. So, and it's no secret. I, I've, I've talked on the pace line many times about that I am a user subscriber fan of Trainer Road. Mm-hmm. And so I think you probably already have some insight, probably because you're able to check out my data. But mm-hmm. I, am, I am like a lot of cyclists. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably the most typical cyclist there is out there. That is, I, I love riding mm-hmm. and I also have a few races that I really care about every year. And they all have something in common, uh, a significant amount of climbing. And so I know that the whole power to weight ratio is really important. And so I'm training smart and I'm trying to lose some weight. And I even have a weight loss goal in mind. 
you know. Which you're, you're doing well with that, by the way. I've, <laughs> I've been following your progress. You're doing really well. So well, thank good you. job on that. Yeah. I have a target weight, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. I my My goal is 157 pounds, but I've been thinking that that's a pretty unscientific number, or at least the way I got to it is unscientific. That is, it's mostly just anecdotal. You know, that was the weight I was at a few years ago when I was the fastest I've ever been. And, you know, it's sort of like, well, I was fast at that weight then. Maybe I'll be fast when I'm at that weight now. But I am wondering for racers, riders in, per, in general, and for me in particular, how do I figure out what my real race weight ought to be? Yeah, so, I mean, there are certain ways you can go about it, I guess, in, in generalizing, and then you can get very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, how tall are you, Eldon? Five, seven, and a quarter. <laughs> okay so that quarter if, matters if, dude when you're yes. under five ten, every quarter inch matters exactly uh, you know i'm gonna round you up to five eight how about that um, we'll break you. the rules of rounding but um i mean if you look at what you know very basic information states about people that aren't technically athletes right these are just average individuals mm-hmm. um it says that you should be Anywhere from 128 to 163 pounds, quite a range. Um, It's not very specific there. Um, Males are going to be at the top end of that range. But in this case, looking at you being an athlete, uh, it gets a little different. Um, Athletes are probably going to carry a little bit more weight simply because they have more lean mass, which is dense, heavy uh, material, so to speak, body material. Uh, if you look at how you're made up. Um, so athletes will carry a little bit more lean mass. Now, a cyclist tend to be like um, the opposite of what everyone in this world finds desirable. We tend to be like centaurs, and we have massive <laughs> lower bodies and a total lack of any shoulders or anything else like that. That lean mass that you carry, as you get faster, you'll be increasing your lean mass many times, and so it's kind of a double-edged sword. So you can go by basic stuff that says that you should be somewhere around 150 pounds for your weight, Wow. So when I say 157, I am, I'm way off the mark then. I should well, be, I'm, I should be way less than that. Well, that's definitely, I would say, uh, um, I'd say that that's a bottom line estimate or average person estimate. If you're an athlete, you are going to weigh more. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple ways of really figuring out going beyond that and getting into something that's much more, I guess, uh, data driven is, and this is kind of crazy to, to think of that there's no more precise way to do this, but it is a lot of trial and error, but there's a, there's a defined process about how you go about it. Um, the benefit is the fact that you have training and that training puts your body through a constant test. And then you can use that test as, as a constant or, or a way to, to know that you are doing a certain amount of work that you can compare across different time frames. So, uh, for example, you know that if you did a certain workout and it was, you know, an hour long workout and you were doing something like you know, 10 minute intervals right at threshold and you did four of those with, you know, rest in between interspersed throughout. And you know that that workout at a certain intensity level is, you know, is doable, but not, you know, too tough. As you lose weight, a lot of the time, it, it, you when you really get down to things and you're running that fine edge, it mm-hmm. gets difficult to complete some of the workouts that you may have done previously when you were carrying more weight. And there's a number of different reasons behind that. But that's really one of the ways that you can kind of know if you've gone too far is like that. But usually, in most cases, that will also be accompanied by or preceded by illness, uh, fatigue, um, any number of things like decreased quality of sleep, uh, you'll also notice uh, in a, a decrease in ability to output power, which kind of ties back into your ability to complete the workout at the same perception level or complete it at all. So there are different ways that you can kind of analyze it, and training is one of the best ways for you to understand if you are going too low. Um, so I guess that that's kind of a basic overview, and there are plenty of more nerdy things that I can get into, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll keep it as focused as possible, but... That's kind of the basics. How about how about fat percentages and uh, you know the things that we traditionally look at? I mean, should I go get a caliper test? When you talk about the nerdy stuff, I am kind of interested in that. I'm so excited you asked about that. Um, <laughs> we've been digging into this to, to levels that have given me quite a complex as of recently. So um, we there are a few different things to to keep in mind. So first of all, caliper tests. 
they are not all created the same, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that one caliper test may follow a different protocol than another, and it will give you wildly different results. And a lot of that comes down to, first of all, they're going to be measuring in different places on your body. And something to keep in mind is certain people store fat in different areas uh, to a greater degree or a lesser degree. Yeah. So one person may store a lot of fat on their belly, but they may not store a lot of fat on their legs. And you know the, the total opposite is also very possible. So there are a lot of different caliper tests you can take. And the important thing is, just like with any physical testing, if you are going to take a test and then take a take another test and compare the results, it needs to follow the same protocol. Hmm. Now, the one thing that we've done is we've wanted to, you know those scales you stand on that pass current through your body and then they're supposed to tell you how much body fat percentage and, and then how much lean mass, how much bone mass, how much water and a whole lot of different things that they try to tell you. We were all, I've been always skeptical of those things. I thought that it was like something I dropped a quarter into and it told me my fortune or something, you know? <laughs> um, but we've been testing the Tanita scales and we've tested a number of them. We've found them all to be good. And Tanita is T-A-N-I-T-A. Yeah. And those have proven to be very, very accurate. And here's how we made sure they were accurate. We went to a diagnostic center and we got um, DEXA scans, body fat scans. And DEXA is a dual x-ray scan that passes two different frequency x-rays through your body and then it measures how much is returned or how much goes through you. And it is able to, one of those x-rays passes through fat um, at a different rate, I guess you could say, than, or I should say just passes through different tissues at different rates and they can measure that. And it gives you a printed out breakdown of how much lean mass, bone mass, fat mass, everything else that you are carrying. And it segments it into your left arm, your right arm, your left leg, your right leg. And then it separates your um, waist into a different area. And then your trunk also into four quadrants. Uh, So if you really want to get a complex, it's a great way to do it because it will make you feel terrible about yourself. Here's the tricky thing with that. It's not just scanning the visceral or forgive me, the subcutaneous fat that we have in our skin that we all want to get rid of because we're vain. Mm -hmm. It's also scanning the visceral fat. So we're talking about the fat and the fat that surrounds your organs and intramuscular fat, all the other stuff. And what we've found is that if you take one of those DEXA scans it's almost within 1% we have found, it's almost double uh, the normal skinfold caliper test readings. So if you are 8% on a skinfold caliper test, you should expect to be around 16% on a DEXA scan. Now, the reason that I bring that up is, is because if you get one of those Tanita scales, they have two different settings. It's like average person or something like that, and then mm-hmm. athlete. And if you use athlete, it will give you to Nita, or it'll give you DEXA-like figures, so usually double what a skinfold caliper test is. What number should I be shooting for? I'll give you some points of reference. So I'm a pretty lean individual. I was in prime shape last summer, and on the DEXA scan, I was all the way down to 5%. So um, Chris Froome has been all the way down to, or I was at 6%. Chris Froome has been all the way down to like 4 and 3%. With one of those scales, reportedly, that's reportedly. I have no clue, Chris, if that's really the case. That's just what we've heard, and that may be very wrong. Um, But we've heard that he's been as far far down as that, and that is extremely lean, um, extremely lean. Uh, For me, that's as lean as I dare go because anymore I get, uh, you know, very fatigued. I I lose a lot of power very quickly in terms of my sustainable power, Mm -hmm. and it gets pretty tough for me. Um, now once again, at six, I was roughly at 11, I was at 11.9 with scales. So that will give you an idea or sorry, not with scales, but with uh, skinfold calipers. So that's a point of reference for you with that. But in most cases, people aren't going to go that low. If you look at most cyclists that are really fit, they're probably going to be somewhere in between 10 and six, 10 and five in that range. So if you can get down there, that would be an ideal thing to do. But here's the tricky thing and why I recommend getting a DEXA scan. A lot of people just measure their weight in the large number that is whatever is read out on the scale. And the problem with that a lot of the time is you don't know how much fat you are losing or how much muscle you are losing. And in the case of a cyclist, every bit of lean mass you carry means that you're going to be metabolizing more, right? Um, So if you carry less lean mass 
and at least less lean mass where you don't need it, it will make you more efficient. If you carry more lean mass where you need it, it will also make you more efficient at going faster to a certain extent. You can't carry too much. So the cool thing about those DEXA scans is you can take one and then you can really go to town on your training and on your diet, whatever that may be. And then you can go back and do that again uh, in three months. <laughs> and then when you go back and do it in three months, it will tell you not only how much body fat you've lost and how much lean mass you've lost or gained, but it'll also tell you where that happened. So it's a good way to quantify, you know, is that weight training you're doing really working? Or, uh, you know, if you're following a training plan and you recognize the fact that you're losing weight, but maybe you're losing, you know, lean mass too, then maybe you're in a situation and lean mass from your legs, let's say, maybe you need to fuel your workouts more. Um, I think that that's a great way to, to look at things, and it is very granular. Those, those scans can be had for anywhere from $50 to $100, depending on the diagnostic center. So it's really not that much if you look at doing it once every six months or once every three months or something like that. Um, and insurance will not pay for something like that. <laughs> but I do know that you can go and get group rates in a lot of cases. Uh, if you say, I'm going to bring in three other people that want to have a complex just like me, then they'll be <laughs> excited to serve you. So... Uh, that's, that's the, what I would recommend. I think it's probably the best way. So wrapping back to your original question, what is the right weight for me? You can get vague about it and say somewhere in terms of body fat around 10%. You can also get vague about it and give yourself just an overall weight number, or you can get a little more specific since you have specific training. Why not get specific on the other side of things? Take a DEXA scan, figure out where you're at, and then take it again a little later on and see if you're making the changes you want. Thank you, Jonathan. And, uh, you know what? Let's get back together after I get a DEXA scan and see where we are. Let's do it. We'll be, we'll be, it's pretty much a coping group for us with, with bad situations <laughs> from being worried about our weight too much. So. All right. It's cheaper than therapy though. <laughs> That's <And> truth. <laughs> I'm almost as effective. So, <laughs> no hey, bad. Jonathan, thanks so much for peeing on the baseline. So guys, <laughs> hottie, Patrick, DEXA scan for you. Yes or no? I, I, I will say that I have been to a website and am scheduling one for my wife and me for, uh, you know, a, as soon as possible because I'm totally, I'm totally intrigued with this kind of thing. You know, it makes sense that you would do it. You've pursued each of the different aspects of this weight loss with such clarity and precision that it makes a lot of sense. Um, I haven't gotten disciplined about my diet. I don't own a scale that does uh, a body fat reading. I've just got um, the the Wahoo scale that does you know your BMI, um, which is a pretty shaky number as numbers go. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't make sense for me to make that kind of investment if I'm not also going to get serious about being more rigorous in my diet. Um, but it sounds. It does sound really cool. It does sound fascinating. Oh, yeah. I'd be now, hottie, that, I, totally yeah, into I, something like that. I, I like to uh, tip there, by the way, on, on the group rates. I, I know some other people who are interested in this stuff, too. That's a great way, I think, to go about getting in, maybe getting a decent rate, getting a good snapshot of yourself, uh, understanding where you are, uh, physically speaking, where you are storing fat, what type of fat it is, whether it's right under the skin, whether it's around your organs, which can be very dangerous. Um, not just for the athlete, it sounds like for anyone, um, sure. it, this is a, a good idea to do eh, once a year, once every couple years and for the athlete, uh, you know, step it up a little bit more. Um, like you though, fatty, I've become a little more weight obsessed this year. I bought a withings scale. Yeah, um, that's what I have too. You have a withings and oh, yeah, let I, me ask you then mine really seems to be, and maybe I'm just fatter than I think, um, overestimating my body fat percentage mine mine is and anyone can check me out on facebook because i'm posting my weight uh just it, it uh the withings app has a share your share your weight thing which i'm doing every day on facebook mine's showing me at 23 percent yeah and it has been showing that uh since i was 14 pounds heavier right which leads me to think that i've been losing uh muscle at a faster rate than fat because as my weight goes down my fat percentage has stayed exactly the same that means i'm losing more muscle than i am fat well, i don't think that's true because i have been stepping up and my power is going up i'm measuring that too right yeah so 
Yes. Yeah, the withings. I, I thought it was very interesting that, and I, I had to cut out some of the conversation, but I did ask Jonathan about withings. He says we don't have, we haven't been measuring against uh, withings, but they seem pretty, uh, pretty high on Tanita. So, you know, that that might be something that I check out going forward. And it seems like I might get better data from that. Yeah. Don't know. And for and for the record, my withings has me at eighteen percent. I think both of us are getting high readings. I mean Yeah, you are you are a very lean person. Yeah. Anyone who has seen you would have a hard time believing eighteen percent for you. Yeah. There's not eighteen percent spare anything on hottie. Mm. Yeah. Well, Granted, there's been a few more IPAs in my life these days, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a little Russian River Brewing action uh, after after the Grasshopper event, Patrick, the other day. But nonetheless, I think 18 is, is kind of high. So. Well, it sounds like at least for you and me, Hadi, uh, this is a to-be-continued conversation because, uh, and I don't know, maybe you go get yourself scanned. I'm going to go get myself scanned, and we'll compare, we'll compare numbers. And then as we get closer to the uh, full-on race season— See where we stand. I'm down. Seems like it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, we love our bike geekery mm-hmm. here at the baseline. Indeed. So let's talk about something, perhaps uh, that is a little bit more ex- well for most folks anyway exciting <laughs> about cycling, and that is <laughs> you mean as we beautiful, qualify the, the actual bikes we ride and those things. Yes. Let's talk about gorgeous, well-made bicycles. HIA Velo, you guys recently went and had a conversation with Tony Carklins yeah. of HIA Velo. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, that was at Winter Press Camp, which is uh, the annual event uh, up here in West in the L.A. area. And HIA Velo, um, stands for, again, Handmade in America, was one of the presenters there. They were there uh, showing their brand-new bike and their brand-new company uh, to the gathered press there, and Patrick and I got a chance to meet with the CEO and founder of this company, Tony Carklins. Um, HIA is, again, handmade in America. That is the manufacturing brand name of this company. Under that umbrella, you will have a bike brand called Allied, and their first model will be the Alpha, a road race bike, full carbon, rim brake bike. And Patrick has written about this bike uh, and shown some photos of it on RKP, so if you're interested, and you should, you should go look at this bike because it is spectacular. It is beautiful. Um, there are more bikes already in the works for this company. An all-road bike will be next, a.k.a. Gravel, a.k.a. Adventure Machine. And, yes, they will have a mountain bike. But some interesting stuff, Patrick, on, on Carklands. This guy was fascinating, really yeah. interesting, kind of an idealist, a dreamer, I would say. He's been in the bike biz since he was 11. He worked in a bike shop at an early age in Little Rock, Arkansas. He became a bike shop owner at the age of 16 and eventually had two stores until 1999 when he got out of the bike shop business. In Little Rock, though, he supplied bikes to the former first family. Chelsea Clinton got her first bike from Kirkland's, and Bill and Hillary both got bikes from him, Little Rock residents. For 14 years, he managed Orbea, North America. Uh, But one of the things that that kind of disturbed him over the years was the number of manufacturers who ship their process and jobs that go with bike making overseas. And of course, what we're left with, especially with the carbon fiber business, is designers and engineers sitting in front of computers stateside, coming up with these bikes and then sending their ideas off to people they hardly know, thousands of miles away. And that's where Tony Carklins comes in. He is aiming to change that. And here's Patrick and my conversation with him. Tony, we had a great presentation here today on a new bike company. And I'm going to ask you what is all over your marketing materials that we saw constantly, and that is why. Why would you step into this crazy business and start a new bike company? Why? Because we can do it better. And I've known for a long time that manufacturing of composite bicycle frames was going to come back to North America. Uh, when I departed my tenure at Orbea in 2014, I went in search for the next brand to bring back to the United States. And I found that all brands out there were kind of a sea of sameness. Most people didn't have their production under their control or under their roof. And the market was, uh, there was no other good brands, in my opinion, to really bring back to the United States. So I took the decision to begin a path to start our own brand that we manufactured here. Uh, most people would say 
Tony, that's impossible. How are you going to ever build bikes at a reasonable price here in the USA? I mean, everyone goes overseas to find cheaper costs, cheaper labor, materials. Labor. Yeah. yeah. How, how so, is it even possible you can sell me a bike that I can afford and, and do it all homegrown? So I've been in the industry a long time, and I've worked with a lot of outsourced manufacturers, and I can tell you it's not as inexpensive to produce bikes in Asia as you would think. The in, okay, the invoice cost is a lot less. But if you add up all the other costs, not just the freight, the duty, the increased warranty costs, your travel costs for your team to go back and forth, the development time, shipping things around and samples and testers and all the things that go into it, the cost is not that different from manufacturing under one roof in the United States. Remarkable. Now, uh, so your, your history in the bike industry is in Arkansas. Uh, you know, so yeah, real estate costs less, cost of living less. Uh, but in terms of finding labor that you could train to do the things you needed to do, how, how difficult was that? If you look at a lot of the advanced manufacturing in the country right now, it's coming into the South because we have a huge untapped labor force down there. Mm -hmm. Very inexpensive to run a company like this. And we have all the labor we could ever need down there to do this. Very scalable workforce there. And yeah, we're competing against Asian labor traits. So Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, that whole piece, that's where all the auto guys are going because there's good inexpensive labor there. Now, Allied, uh, so HIA Velo is the, the parent company. HIA Velo is the, is the parent company, it's the manufacturing company, and Allied Cycle Works is the brand. So we're gonna be seeing ads for Allied. People are gonna be talking about Allied bikes. And uh, the thing there is, you know, you've taken, um, you know, what's beginning to be an emerging trend, no model years. Um, why don't you tell us about some of the other things that you're doing uh, to be different? And, you know, I mean, part of the compelling story of, you know, why should people be paying attention to Allied? Okay. So first of all, everything Allied is manufactured under our roof in the United States. And we're making all best efforts to source the most premium American materials and technologies to make our products better. Um, personalization is a big thing that's possible with this type of manufacturing. So we're not using your models. We're not building a warehouse full of your model tagged ticking time bomb inventory. When somebody buys an Allied, be it a consumer or a dealer, they'll buy a bike from us. It'll be in inventory as a raw unit. It'll be put through paint in any kind of paint level that they want, and it'll go through our custom assembly process where they can select their drivetrain, they can pick their stem length, their handlebar material, their handlebar width, their crank length, what type of crank. Maybe they want a power meter, upgrade and downgrade wheels. And the idea is that that bike's gonna arrive either directly to the consumer or to that consumer's dealer, ready to ride in exactly the way that they want it. Mm -hmm. But at a price that's extremely competitive with the market. It's too bad this is a podcast because the bike you're launching with, the, the Alpha, paint doesn't show up. Yeah, is is absolutely beautiful. But beyond beauty, why? Tell us what you started with. What is what is ground zero? What is Alpha number one, numero uno here? Yeah, what? when somebody suggested the name Alpha, everybody in the room was like, "That's the name of the first model, right yeah. there for sure." Um, most of the people in the company come from a little bit road-centric background, so it was natural that our first bike came out as road. Uh, we fought internally, should it be a disc brake bike or a rim brake bike, and as we were taking that decision, it was exactly at the same moment that the UCI canceled the disc brake uh, trial last year, so Alpha launches as a rim brake model. Uh, for us, it's kind of like, uh, it's a perfect home base. It's an 875 gram, high-performance race bike that's available in 12 sizes, six sizes with two head tube heights per size, so that a rider who needs a taller head tube or a normal head tube can have the exact same performance out of the bicycle. How can somebody, what's gonna be the point of purchase for these bikes? Are you dealers, are you consumer direct? How is that gonna work? Bikes are for, for sale through alliedcycleworks.com and it authorized dealers nationwide. This weekend when the website goes live, we'll have our first 25 or 30 dealers active on the site that day. Mm -hmm. For folks who do go online and, and pick a bike out, they can pick a lot of different things, not oh, just absolutely. a bike. Yeah, you'll go, you'll go through a customization process that is state-of-the-art. And customization besides, you can't get a custom frame built for you, but customization as far as parts, you can pick your bar width, your... 
Personalization. Personalization yeah. is what yeah. we're talking about. I promise to not use the customization word again. <laughs> Personalization. Yeah. It's like when you buy a pair of tennis shoes and Nike, and you go through that Nike ID system. Right. I mean, that's what people want these days. You know, they don't want to show up on the bike ride with the same paint job and the same spec as everybody else there. Mm -hmm. I mean, each, each one of these allied bikes will be special and unique to the customer that buys it. And steer us 12 months into this company. Where do you, where do you see it so far? How, where's it gonna, how's it going to progress? Uh, by the end of 2007, we'll have four to six different models in the, in the market. Um, our first models are alpha. We'll be moving into disc brake bikes very shortly into that all road or, or any conditions category. And we're working hard on MTB full suspension development right now. So Allied is a, is a, a premium American performance brand but we don't want to be pigeonholed in any certain category. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be in all performance categories. Let's talk about a few of the other things that really recommend the Alpha. So this is a reasonably light frame. 875 grams. Right. And uh, the suggested retail frame alone is? $2,700. Which is pretty killer. I mean. For an American manufactured monocoque carbon frame, it's extremely killer. Yeah. And it's not just available in five sizes. No, 12 sizes. <laughs> oh, that just makes me chuckle. That is so lovely. Um, yeah. And an untold amount of paint jobs. Right, right. Uh, and yeah, like Michael was saying, if you could see this mirrored red paint job or the blue one over there, holy wow. Yeah, we're really proud of this chrome painting process. It's, it's very difficult to do, but it's something that we have to bring to market. We've seen a couple other brands do special one-off bikes for somebody winning this race or going to the Olympics, but we wanted to be first to really bring that to the consumer. In fact, the painter you brought in is, is yeah. somebody you sought out and we wanted did. and desired deeply to have part of your company. Yeah, if you don't have great paint, you don't have a great bike. So we decided we were going to purchase Cycle Art in San Diego, California. They've been a premium bike refinishing company for 40 plus years and we relocated them to our Arkansas facility and now they're part of our team in-house. So our paint department um, is CycleArt. Mm -hmm. uh, and Allied, what's the name mean? Uh, we went through a lot of brand exercises and we, just, we settled on the Allied name because uh, it, felt, it felt very proud, it felt very American, it felt had a, a vintage manufacturing kind of vibe to it. Uh, we also felt that it's a brand name that could exist in all these other performance categories. You could see Allied on a mountain bike or other categories of bikes. Um, and, you know, over the, over the last six months of developing this brand, I, I've, I've really fallen in love with it. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck. We, you know, we love to see somebody so enthusiastic about bikes and about this country and about doing things here. And, and doing them better. And, and, and having you close. I mean, customers can be close to you that yeah. develop a relationship yeah, with you. Yeah, we want customers to visit us. We want to have an open door. We want to show the world how this product is made. And we want all of our customers to come visit us and see for themselves. Mm -hmm. Again, that was Tony Karklins, founder and CEO of HIA Velo, talking to Patrick and me at Winter Press Camp a few weeks ago. Uh, some other notes. Uh, Karklins says they will also make steel and aluminum bikes to cover other price points the company does believe when it comes to premium bikes that you know prices really have gotten out of control and Carklands believes that the sweet spot for price point in the premium area is about that 2500 to 7500 dollar price range and as you heard them say that their their frame set for the first bike the alpha will be about 2700 dollars the website is up and running now so bikes can be ordered um and they're ready to go patrick you've seen You've seen bike companies come and go. We saw Felt get purchased just this uh, yep. pat, you know, a few days ago. Uh, can Carklands and HIA and Allied make it considering the current climate and, and bicycle infrastructure that exists now? Yeah, I, I have every confidence that they will. You know, that the, that the frame set itself is so affordable given its weight. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who's operating that sort of price range uh, and giving, you know, giving people access to sub 900 gram frames, you know, for 56. Um, it's, you know, it's a fresh approach. And, you know, uh, soon we'll run the interview that we did with Sam Pickman as well, who's head of engineering. Uh, when 
when people hear, you know, what it is that they're doing differently, uh, I think they'll understand that they really have trimmed some fat out of the, you know, overall operation. One of the things that uh, Carklin's talked about in our conversation that wasn't really captured in the interview was, you know, all the freight costs that you get from, you know, shipping carbon fiber, you know, around the world and shipping parts around the world and, you know, all the freight that uh, that gets added up and thinking about not only what you're spending to ship stuff everywhere, but also what that does, you know, in terms of, you know, the environment, you know, the impact that that has. And so this is a guy who's looking at, you know, uh, the bicycle from a much bigger picture st- uh, uh, outlook than, you know, many other people in the industry. I think that what they're doing is going to resonate with buyers. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, the first model, the Alpha from Allied, should uh, should be out this spring. And uh, HIA, in a short time, believes that will be the second largest premium bicycle maker, Fatty, in the United States, next to Trek. I admit that I uh, was surfing uh, over to their site while, while this interview was playing, and I am mentally already building me up a bike. So, yeah. <laughs> Pretty, huh? <laughs> yep. Oh, mercy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, best of luck to them. Uh, to me, uh, it, you know, it sounds like, a, sounds like a winner of a proposition. So, uh, good luck. Kudos to them for, for a great idea and for building it in the U.S. Let's move on to the Paceline picks. What do you say, guys? Awesome. Okay. Yeah. The segment of the program where we recommend or perhaps anti-recommend something that only tangentially has anything to do with bicycles. And I'm going to go first with that lead-in because I have got the most tangential of Not another TV series. No, no, not a TV series. I think I was pretty good with the with the Vikings recommendation. That that that's a that was a strong pick. I am still enjoying that show, <laughs> but I am. This is something from Thule, you know, the the very well known bike rack manufacturer. But it is otherwise not at all related to bikes. I have been traveling for work a lot, and like most travelers, prefer to bring a carry on. For the past two years, I have been using a carry-on that is made by Thule. Uh, mm. It is called the Thule Crossover Carry-On. And it, I, I am remiss in not having mentioned this, I don't think in very many places before, it has been the single nicest piece of luggage I have ever had. It's, it's a, a rolling clamshell case that fits in every single carry-on you know overhead bin space i have ever seen it holds way more than you expect it would it has a great uh sleeve on the outside that holds my 15 inch macbook pro no sweat it's padded and is hard and it has a zip out uh hard shell uh, case for glasses i can put two pair of glasses my sunglasses and my uh clear glasses in there no sweat easy to get to them uh, for you know, makes so that when I get to the rental car, I can put on sunglasses, or if it's night, get my clear glasses out. And it is most importantly sporting the very cool looking Thule logo on it. Uh, I'll put a link to it on the show notes, but these guys have, as far as I'm concerned, designed the perfect carry on case. So that's my paceline pick. They are killing it in luggage. I mean, basically everything they touch, they end up doing extraordinarily well, which is sort of amazing. They do really nice uh, 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 laptop cases yes. as well. Yes, so I have kudos, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have one of their backpacks, and it's pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, I don't have a Thule rack anymore. That's one place where I have been kind of, eh. But that's, this is not about that. This is about them doing a really nice luggage. So mm-hmm. awesome. Awesome. awesome work, Thule. Who's next? Okay. Michael. Me? Me Hottie. next? Yeah. Okay. Go, Hottie. Happy to go. My pick is um, Adam Jones. Adam Jones is a grammar school teacher in Shropshire, England, and one of the classes he teaches is frame building. Jones is a frame builder himself. Nice. His brand is Moss Bikes, but he always kept his teaching and his bike building separate until... 2012, when he saw an opportunity to turn an old building on the property of a school 
into a design and tech center. And the school greenlighted his idea for a class on frame building. Now, students get their assignment, have to come up with a bike brand, identify a need and model. They even have to design a logo for the bike, a head badge. They design it on a computer and then build the bike. Bikes are steel, and Jones says all of them are lugged because it is the safest and strongest method for a young builder. Bikes are then sent out for powder coat, then returned for group set and wheel mountings. Students say they actually ride their bikes, and one was actually built for and raced in a local crit and stayed together. Nice. Adams uh, Grammar School receives no special funding for the class, and Jones hopes to expand the program to other schools. So Adam Jones and his bike frame building class in England is my pace line pick. Oh, an inspiring one. How yeah, about that's you? That's cool. Yeah, let's hear what you got, Patrick. So uh, I'm going to be, it's funny, I've got one standard, uh, no, two standard road bike reviews coming up in the, in the not too distant future on RKP, but I'm going to have a whole series of gravel bike reviews. Mm. Um, as far as drop bar bikes and 700C wheels go, all the really interesting work being done right now, in my opinion, is being done in gravel bikes or adventure bikes, whatever we want to call them. Of late, I've been riding uh, the Marin Four Corners Elite, and this was a bike that really captured my attention at Interbike uh, because the, manu- uh, the manufacturer's suggested retail price for it is only $22.49. Um, it's, a, it's a steel bike, uh, TIG welded with uh, mostly SRAM rival uh, components on it. So, you know, this is not like a top level race bike of any sort. It's really meant as sort of a, a drop bar bike packing bike. You know, it's really a, a super sturdy uh, touring bike for going off road. But I've been doing just some standard uh, mixed surface rides on this. Did a ride a couple weeks ago uh, coming down a really really hairy gnarly descent on it and just had the best most secure time on it uh it's got wtb's uh 45 millimeter riddler tires on it and i'm just having the best time riding this thing like i said it's not really a race bike but if somebody wanted one bike that they could just go and do a whole bunch of different sorts of things on it from you know touring to you know some speedier group rides get a second set of wheels for this thing my gosh, this is a really cool bike. I'm looking forward to writing the review. Mm. You're not the only one, no. by the way. I'm also <laughs> on an adventure bike. I've got the Lightspeed, yep. the T5G, that's, that's going right. to show up on RKP one of these days, too. So uh, we're, we're piling on here, folks. Ah, <laughs> some very obvious trends here and awesome to see. So, yeah, really good one. Anything else that uh, you want to highlight is coming up on RKP, Patrick? Well, uh, the biggest single piece of news to come up in the last couple weeks in terms of the industry was the fact that Felt Bicycles, as Michael mentioned earlier, uh, was sold. Rossignol uh, mm-hmm. bought them. And uh, this is one of those things where, you know, a lot of people kind of are frightened that something bad is going to happen to Felt. And I see this as uh, an opportunity for Felt to really get up to speed on some things where they've been sort of deficient of late. You know, this is a brand where they've invested huge amounts of money in product development and manufacturing and don't get the credit they deserve. Yeah. And they've uh, they've really under-invested in terms of uh, sales channel development, uh, dealer development, and uh, also their marketing. And this purchase is going to be really interesting to see, you know, what Rossignol does to help give them a little more horsepower in that regard. Felt's engineers are also going to be uh, tasked with helping them develop a mountain bike line, which is presumably something that uh, Rossignol will sell into uh, ski rental operations at ski areas. Um, and that's that's pretty exciting because Felt is already on top of the e-bike thing. And one of the things that I've seen a little bit of intersection on is e-mountain bikes at ski areas. I think it avoids a lot of really thorny questions about uh, riding e-mountain bikes um, in like state parks and things like that uh, on private land. You know, hey, it's their ski area, you know, let it rip. So there are going to be some really uh, exciting developments coming out of that. Um, Also, uh, 
we have that piece on uh, Allied, uh, you know, the actual brand name for HIA Velo, that right. post is the value of experience. And so it'll give people a chance to get a little bit more of a, a look inside what they're doing. Fantastic. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening to The Pace Line. If you have not, remember, subscribe, rate, review us in all the places that you would find, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Podbean, if there's anyone actually using Podbean. Tune in radio. You're on Tune in radio tune, now. Tune in radio. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds really, really high tech. <laughs> <laughs> for for <laughs> for Patrick, for Hottie, I'm Fatty. That you know that has a nice cadence to it. Thanks for listening to the pace line. Wait a second. Wait a what? second. What? 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 We have to start this over. How come? Uh, uh, this is actually number fifty-four. What?